Republicans to wake up. Is with the Republican Party right now is not led by conservatives. There's a population out there that has to be told the truth. Um, we have to. Do it live! Now, from the left coast, it's another podcast edition of the Peter B. Collins Show. Peter B. is curious, opinionated, and relentless in pursuit of the truth like a honeybee drawn to pollen. He's an independent progressive, ready to sting Republicans and Democrats alike when they deserve it. After years in commercial radio, Peter B. welcomes you to this audio adventure in news and politics with no corporate filter. Listeners support this program, and you can help at PeterBCollins.com. Here's your humble host, Peter B. This program is supported by listeners. I'm grateful to Mark Lewis of Mill Valley, California, and Lois Kakula of Minneapolis. Thanks for your support. Now I've been happy lately, thinking about the good things to come. This is a special edition of the Peter B. Collins Show, prepared for you on the final day of 2009. And as Americans get ready for a boozy New Year's celebration, where we say nice things, often about strangers in our midst, I want to focus on Americans and others who converged from around the world to show their support and solidarity with the people of Gaza, the Palestinians who were imprisoned there by the Israeli blockade, And it is compounded by the complicity of the nation of Egypt. And what you're about to hear is three conversations with activists from the United States. Ali Glenesk, who is a student at the University of California at Berkeley. Tom McAfee, who is an independent journalist and uh, activist who uh, is from Northern California. And also Colonel Anne Wright, a woman I have deep respect for. She served in our military and then in our State Department and resigned that post in protest of Bush administration policies when she was serving in Afghanistan in uh, 2003. And uh, you're going to hear their accounts of the efforts of almost 1,400 people to get permission to cross into Gaza from Egypt so that they could participate in the New Year's Eve Gaza Freedom March. And some were able to do so. Uh, just under 100, uh, managed to find their way around the obstruction of the Egyptian government. And you'll hear that described in our conversations. And we will uh, get this dispatch out here on New Year's Eve. And I hope that uh, you find this interesting. And I hope that it moves you to offer support in any form you can, even if it's having a conversation with a friend of yours who is either unaware of the depth of the issues between Israel and Palestine, or uh, so many Americans who just take the Israeli side because that's what dominates uh, our political and uh, media messages. So uh, stand by here for dispatches from Cairo in support of the Gaza Freedom March. We've just gotten through to Ali Glenesk, the UC Berkeley student that we talked to a few weeks back before she departed for Egypt and Gaza. Ali, it's good to talk with you here on New Year's Eve, California time. Tell us your location and what the scene is where you are right now. Uh, right now, I'm I'm in Cairo, um, just speaking right now. Um, we had a big day of, of protest 
uh, here in Cairo. And um, as many as 1,400 people converged from around the world for the Gaza Freedom March, and the uh, government of Egypt, the foreign ministry there, at first appeared to be allowing some of your group in. What is the current status? I understood that two busloads of your contingent uh, were permitted to enter Gaza over the last day or two. Yes, the Egyptian government said that 100 people could enter Gaza. Um, the steering committee of the Gaza Freedom March rejected this offer, saying that it was a political move by the government and humanitarian aid really isn't what needed. Um, however, 86 people did go in as this offer and marched alongside the Palestinians today. Uh, the majority of the activists, individuals, and everyone who's stayed in Cairo, uh, and we had a, a pretty, a pretty large protest um, that involved some violent encounters with the Egyptian police. And were any of your friends or colleagues injured in that? Um, yes, Ryan Fay from Golden Gate University in San Francisco. Um, I saw him just bleeding through his face. I'm not sure how it happened, but it was from an altercation with the police. Mm -hmm. And I understand that they've been keeping on a very uh, tight uh, police watch and that these are uh, officers in riot gear. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like they have not hesitated to uh, push you into very tight spots and cram people uh, one on top of another. What are some of the Mm -hmm. tactics that they have been using to try to prevent your expression? Um, The usual tactic by the Egyptian police is to surround activists, surround protesters, so that and isolate them from the public so that you're really not seen. Um, And this has been pretty usual. And because of this tactic, activists are trapped and without medical supplies, without food, without going to the bathroom. That's been the situation um, here in Cairo for the past few days. And what is your sense of the reaction of average Egyptians to the statement that is made by your presence there, uh, calling for uh, attention to Gaza and action to relieve the blockade that Israel has been imposing? Um, I think the Egyptian public is very scared of Mubarak's military dictatorship. Um, scared to say what they really think, and I think what they really think is that they support Gaza and that they support Palestine and are ashamed of what their government is doing right now, which is actively supporting the siege and locking thousands and thousands of Palestinians in Gaza in open-air prison. Mm-hmm. And I understand that at the Rafah crossing, there is major construction underway where Egypt yes. is attempting to prevent uh, the tunneling of any further underground connections between Gaza and Egypt. Yeah, and I believe that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is playing a role in that, just like they played in, in you know, the failed levies in New Orleans. Um, and I think that it's, it's human nature. I think that Palestinians, if that wall goes 40 feet down, they're going to go 50 feet down, and they're going to get it. I'm on a radio show right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's what I think. I think, like, they're search for human dignity, they're going to dig deeper. I mean, I've been to the tunnels, and I think that it's a shame that it has to be that way, but that really is a lifeline, and I think they're going to dig deeper. Mm -hmm. And, Allie, do you have a story or two you'd like to share with our listeners about uh, some of the encounters you've had or the uh, maybe uplifting moments you've had on uh, this effort to draw attention to the siege of Gaza that was just a year ago that left 1,400 Palestinians dead, many of them women and children. 
Um, yeah, it was a pretty emotional day on the 27th, which was like the first day um, everyone tried to have a sort of candlelight vigil, but the government prohibited it. Um, I, it's just very, <laughs> I guess, all in all, it's really inspiring to see that so many people from around the world came together on Cairo and in oppressive circumstances, the government really trying to stifle any sort of demonstration, threatening us with deportation. The people still rallied and still came together. Um, and I think a few weeks ago it would have been unthinkable for the government to let in even 100 as they did. Um, and, and But those 100 went, and they marched alongside Palestinians in the march today. Um, so I think that's really inspiring and really hopeful. We've been in the New York Times. We've been on BBC. We've been in Al Jazeera. We've been on CNN, so um, it's, it's no small feat to, to get that type of coverage. Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, it, it changed, the, the siege will not end in a day, but I think that some small chip out of the wall has, has happened um, here in Cairo and in Gaza this winter. Well, Ali, I appreciate you uh, taking your time and money uh, to go to Cairo to attempt to enter Gaza. And you have uh, been representing many Americans like me who want to see justice for the Palestinians and a shift in U.S. policy and also recognition of the carnage that occurred just a year ago. And uh, I'm one of those people who's deeply offended and insulted that they want to bury the Goldstone Commission report and not acknowledge uh, what really did happen, as I say, just 12 months ago. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Well, Ali, thanks for joining us, and uh, I'll talk with you when you're back stateside. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks okay. for calling. Ali Glenesk joining us from Cairo here on the Peter B. Collins Show. We've reached Tom McAfee, a Northern California activist who is in Cairo, Egypt, with the Gaza Freedom March team. More than 1,400 people from all over the world have converged there, hoping to enter Gaza to join a march that occurred here on uh, New Year's Eve, the last day of 2009. Tom, thanks for joining us, and tell us what you've seen since you got to Cairo. Well, it's my pleasure, Peter. Um, I've seen a lot of very high-spirited, dedicated activists, uh, part part of this Gaza Freedom March, coming, and I have seen their agendas changing by the moment and the minute, and um, it's, been, it's been quite a unique experience for me. It's, um, it's something I'll never forget. I, I almost feel like I'm on a, uh, something historic on the, on the scales of a Selma march or something like that. It's, it's uh, something to behold. When, when you're penned in, uh, with, <laughs> you're surrounded by Egyptian police and penned in with the likes of uh, Medea Benjamin and Ali Abedima and Bernadette, um, there's their last name escapes me, but uh, just luminaries in the activist march where you feel like, well, you, you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. Good people to be on the same side. But. Now, I understand that there were rounds of negotiations over the past week and that the French government was active in intervening with the Egyptian foreign ministry to try to lift the ban on uh, your participation in the Gaza march. And ultimately, a deal was struck, and uh, there seemed to be some bad feelings about the way the deal was interpreted by the Egyptians. But uh, they relented and it permitted up to 100 people uh, from your contingent to go into Gaza. And I understand two busloads, about 86 people, actually made the trip. Well, that's correct. And uh, I think what the, the bad feelings arose were, were twofold. Um, 
one, uh, of course, many felt that it weakened uh, the statement if if we compromised and didn't let everyone in, that, that there was any sort of a restriction at all. Um, but beyond that, I, I think uh, a lot of people just thought that um, the, the Egyptians were uh, manipulating the story. They were saying that, well, uh, we, there's only 100 that, that were peaceful, so we'll only let in this very few, and the other ones were, were basically hooligans and roughnecks and causing trouble, and so, therefore, they don't deserve to get in, as though there was some sort of a, uh, a cause and effect caused by the marches itself. And that's totally incorrect. And so those who were permitted in did get to march with Palestinians in Gaza on New Year's Eve. Is that correct? That is my understanding. And, you know, I, I must say, Peter, yes, there was there was much sturm und drang and passions and, and emotions on the day of, of the bus where they... The, uh, there was 140 agendas going different directions, and, you know, that's just what you get when you get a lot of um, uh, independent-thinking uh, activists together. There's going to be a lot, of, a lot of different ideas about what the right thing is to do. But I must say today, when we were uh, meeting, and we, we, there was an uh, impromptu march called uh, in Cairo as well as the one in Gaza. Of those that remain behind, and uh, there was a, a march today that was called to just sort of attack. I guess they call them swarms, or I don't know what they call them. But uh, it was there was a uh, signal given where some, some flags were raised, some chants started, and people just sort of came off of the sidewalks out into the streets. And as Medea Benjamin put it, she, we were to swarm like bees and from every direction come out and converge. And uh, we, we did so, and eventually we were corralled by the police once again and put in a, a little area. But when the word came across, uh, uh, some people had received some phone calls from the people in Gaza that they were marching at the same time, a huge cheer went up, a cheer of solidarity and unity, and knowing that people were, were marching in Gaza and in Cairo and and. Well, it's all around the, the world, I'm sure, and, and I expect uh, we're, we're nine hours ahead of you all over there in uh, San Francisco, but I expect there's going to be some uh, events and uh, marches there as well, and uh, it's a great feeling. So there was, there was no animosity today. Now, in one email, you indicated that you got roughed up, bruised, and bloodied a little bit. Uh, tell us what happened. Well, it wasn't that big of a deal. Actually, some people, I understand, uh, took a bit more of a grunt, but... Um, what was happening was that the, the Egyptian police and the security forces were very, very uh, anxious to control the marchers and to contain them and to surround them, put a perimeter on them. And uh, I was uh, sort of bringing up the rear, trying to be a bit uh, clandestine as well as I could. Um, I think next time I'm going to wear my wear a three-piece suit and a necktie i think then i'll blend in better but uh <laughs> as it was I, I was as soon as i got out of out of out of a cab uh, near the area uh, i was surrounded by uh four police and they they were just immediately accosting me and i said look i just want to go to the museum they said okay fine well let's go come on and we'll go right now and i said wait a minute i i, I want to take a little bit of a walk and they said no 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 what are you doing what's your name where are you what's I said, look, I am a tourist, here's my camera, here's my passport, what do you want from me? 
And they said, well, security, security. And, and so anyway, it was, the place was crawling with police, just crawling with it. And so I tried to get it, my, I make myself a little bit less conspicuous by putting away my tripods and so on and so forth. At which point, um, I noticed about, it seemed like hundreds, maybe it was 50 to 100 uh, riot-geared police suddenly running towards the uh, the open square. And it was like a scene out of a Vita. I, I, the, the sound of the boots, which I hope I have on videotape, I haven't been able to review it yet. But it was it was like horse's hoof. And it was clump, 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 clump. Uh, and then there was, that was the point at which there was some pushing and some shoving. And so as I <clears throat> got up closer to the group and started uh, photographing from the periphery, um, they, uh, the, the, I was holding up my camera in the air, and uh, they said, you want to take pictures? Well, you go outside, too. And I said, no, I'm okay. And with that, they just kind of pushed and shoved and basically threw me over a barrier. And I, I landed with a thud, and it was fine. It wasn't that big of a deal, but um, and anyway. and did they did they attempt to damage your camera? Not really. No, they just wanted me in, inside the group so that I was in their little pe- in the little pen and mm-hmm. not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But what was really interesting, frankly, uh, is that I mean uh, we understand what, and we were able to convey to a lot of these these young uh, security officers, which are they're, they're Teenagers, basically, they're, they're young, they're poor, they're, they've got a job, they're doing what they're told to do, and this happened uh, the previous day when we were outside the American Embassy as well. They did the exact same tactic, and we talked to them, and we said, "Look, I don't even know if you can understand me, but those of you that can understand English, please know that we do not bear you any ill. We come in peace." We understand you're doing a job that you have to do, and you have no choice because you're supporting your family and your wives and your children. And we understand that. We just want you to understand why we're doing what we're doing, and so that you will please carry out your duties with kindness. And we went on to say the reason we're doing this is that the bombs that you heard falling on Gaza back a year ago were paid for by my government. And uh, all, all of the, the the bank accounts in the United States and the Treasury are filled with Arab blood, and for this we are so terribly sorry. And we hope you will forgive us. And we we are trying to make amends as best we can. But we want to know, want you to know that we are we consider you brothers, and we are here uh, in solidarity with you. And it got through. I know it got through. And uh, there is, I have I have talked to some people before and after, and on the buses, and so on forth. And they have said, <clears throat> this is the first time they really felt that people on the outside cared about the Arab people. That they really, they, they really were touched. And, and there's, at the same time, this is a totalitarian country here, like no other, and, and well, maybe like many other. Well, the only thing, Tom, I would add to that, a U.S.-backed totalitarian nation. Well, that's the point, and that's and and that's it. Because uh, you know, people start wondering, well, why is Egypt doing this? Why are they backing it? Well, guess what? <laughs> They're getting three billion dollars a year, or something like that. I don't know. It's close to that. That's what it is. Uh, yeah. And and uh, money talks, and so they've got they 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 know where their bread is buttered. The, Russia is gone, and uh, the, so now they look to the United States. And I'm sure the State Department. Well, the 
policy has been absolutely uh, not only only unhelpful, they've been totally uncooperative in saying, we will not aid you in any way. Our position stands against uh, Gaza and against whatnot, and uh, no, we have no intention of allowing you in. I mean, they they know they are perpetuating the seeds themselves. It was it came out apparently that the U.S. Uh, Army Corps of Engineers are helping engineer the wall, the subterranean wall that is now going to blo- block the tunnels that are going from Egypt into Gaza. At Rafa. Mm-hmm. At Rafa. And this is the only lifeline left for these people. I mean, there there is a semblance of, a, of an economy in, in Gaza, as I understand it. I wasn't able to get in and experience it, but I... But life is going on, but it's only because it's, it's a black market economy. Mm-hmm. And once, once that is cut off, then they're saying what? They're saying, okay, you can't have anything, and we do want you to starve after all. And it's the United States Army Corps of Engineers that instead of, instead of helping uh, build better levees in, in New Orleans and reconstruct that, well, they're doing that. It's, 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 it blows my mind. Yeah. And Tom, uh, as we wrap up here, tell me what message you would like to convey to our listeners as we launch into a new year. I would like you, I would like everyone out there to keep the faith and uh, talk to as many people they can about how important it is to remember what is going on in Gaza and to realize that uh, if we want to have something done, we're going to have to do it ourselves. That's all there is to it. You saw what happened to the Goldstone Report when you had one of the world's most renowned uh, judges uh, come to the conclusions that he did and to have it repudiated by our own government. And they're saying, well, we're just not going to listen to the facts. We're just, we don't want to hear that. So we're not going to listen to you. As a matter of fact, we're not even going to read your report. We, yeah. And they, they reject it. And so we've, we've just got to go there ourselves and say, well, we know what happened. <clears throat> we know what, what is right, and we know what needs, needs to be done, and let's just keep on making it happen. The other thing I would like to say is I want to, whoever out there can do this, nominate Medea Benjamin for the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> she puts her neck out there, and her, she is the best. And without her vision and tenacity and just wonderful attitude, uh, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And I, with, I, without this catalyst, it wouldn't have been happening. I so. certainly share your admiration. Tom McAfee, thanks for joining us, and uh, be in touch when you're back in the States, and let me know if your footage is uh, interesting. I'd love to see it when you return. Oh, no doubt it will be, and I, I'll be glad to. Okay, thanks, Peter. Tom McAfee joining us from Cairo here on the Peter B. Collins Show. We've reached okay. Colonel Ann Wright in Cairo, Egypt, with the uh, Gaza Freedom March Committee. Uh, as many as 1,400 people converge from around the world. And Colonel Wright is also active with Code Pink for Peace here in the United States. She served in our military with distinction. And then she resigned her State Department post in protest of Bush administration policies. She was serving in Afghanistan at that time. And welcome back to the Peter B. Collins Show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Tell us uh, your own experiences in Cairo and with your frustrations of trying to uh, get permission for your delegation to cross over the border into Gaza to join Palestinians for an important march on New Year's Eve. Well, we have been frustrated, that's for sure. Uh, the, the Egyptian government did not give us uh, a, a decision on 
whether or not they would allow us to go uh, through Egypt and through the Rafa border crossing until six days before delegates were to actually arrive officially. And actually, many of the delegates to the Gaza Freedom March were already traveling uh, when we got the notification that our request had been denied. And it was denied on um, uh, security reasons from the Egyptian perspective. And although we went back every day, every day to the foreign ministry to request that they reconsider it, uh, it was, uh, it was, well, I'm sure it was reconsidered, but we still kept getting the same answer, no. Well, I'll tell you, for a bunch of activists that are coming in from 44 countries around the world who are so interested and committed to, uh, to, to highlight and talk about the inequities and work on resolving the, the terrible situation that the Palestinians are in, both in the West Bank and in Gaza, uh, a denial to go to Gaza was not uh, <laughs> something they took lying down. And here in, in Egypt, which, which has a uh, government that is that has a lot of rules that we don't have in the United States about uh, gathering around, about demonstration, about rallies, um, this week has been very interesting, I think, to the, to the Egyptians because they have seen some things on their streets that they haven't seen in a long time. A lot of people with various creative ways to bring the the attention of people of, of Egypt and the world to the plight of the Palestinians. And Anne, tell us of those Egyptians you've been able to talk with. There has to be obvious awareness of the incredible assault that Israel unleashed on Gaza just a year ago with 1,400 Palestinians, the majority women and children, being killed, and uh, 13 or 14 uh, Israelis were killed. The disproportionality is uh, obvious in those statistics alone. But when you see the damage that was done to public buildings, to the U.N. uh, facility there, and uh, the way that olive trees were uprooted and buildings were destroyed, uh, the kind of, of uh, havoc that was wreaked, is it, is it common knowledge in Egypt, or is it something that is suppressed or uh, treated with denial? Well, it certainly is known by the people of, uh, of Egypt. And uh, the, whenever you wear a, a Gaza T-shirt uh, on the streets of uh, Cairo or anywhere in Egypt, I mean, people come up to you and, and, you know, say, thank you for helping the people of Gaza. Uh, they are very concerned about the predicament their government is in, having signed a peace accord with Israel and then with it many stipulations about who can go through their own border uh, with the requirements uh, that the Israelis have actually placed on them through this peace accord. And the, most Egyptians we talk to say, well, our government ought to be doing a heck of a lot more than what they're doing. Uh, but when you look at it, and we've, we've talked to lots of people in the Egyptian government, and the statistics are pretty uh, remarkable. There, uh, there have been, there's been a lot of stuff that's gone into Gaza, particularly right after the assault, the Israeli assault. Um, but the bottom line is the border isn't open, that it is still, uh, it's a, uh, it's under siege that uh, the international community, not just Egypt and, and Israel, but the United States of America and European community uh, uh, countries have put a siege on Gaza, where officially the border is closed, that uh, uh, it takes 
It takes a lot of effort to get anything into Gaza to the extent that the tunnel system under the border of, um, of Egypt uh, is, the, is really the main way that most things get into uh, Gaza. So uh, Egyptians are uh, uh, many, in many ways like Americans. Uh, they have a lot of uh, uh, criticism of their government, except we can, we can express it overtly in our country, and, and that is not available to the Egyptians. They can't really publicly criticize their own government without getting in big trouble. And, and do those people, are they aware of the U.S. role and our complicity in supplying the arms that were used by Israel, in supplying the so-called Bush doctrine of, of preemptive assault on so-called terrorists uh, to justify the, the massive military intervention that was undertaken just a year ago? Yes, they know a lot about it. And in fact, when we are out and about here and, and in, front, in front of various buildings, many of them say, well, you know, you, you might want to go over to the U.S. Embassy to protest your own government's complicity in all of this. And indeed, we have inadvertently, we had a demonstration there the other day. We, we'd just gone over to merely ask some questions, and lo and behold, we we couldn't even get to the embassy before we were surrounded and pinned in for about uh, an hour and a half. Uh, we intend to go back before we leave, though, because it is important that we have uh, a major demonstration in front of the United States embassy, just as our French colleagues have have been uh, camping out in front of their embassy for the last four days. Mm-hmm. And I understand the French uh, embassy was helpful in uh, trying to broker an agreement with the, uh, the Egyptian foreign ministry. Is that right? Well, they, uh, I don't know if they, uh, maybe they were helpful, but their deal was never uh, consummated. The, the, uh, uh, no one got into Gaza uh, through the help of uh, their national embassies. We did have uh, 92 people that went to Gaza yesterday on a special uh, special um, exemption to this blanket denial of our ability to go in there, uh, based on an appeal made to the uh, president of Egypt's wife as through her role as the president of the Red Crescent Society. And we had a little window of opportunity for 100 people to go into Gaza for um, uh, three days and to be there for the Gaza Freedom March, which was held today. But that's the only break in the total denial that we've had. And we do go back every day to the foreign ministry to ask them to reconsider it. But uh, so far, we've only had this one, one opportunity to get 100 people in. Well, Anne Wright, thank you for speaking for me by your presence in Cairo and your attempts to uh, join forces with Palestinians to uh, send a message to the world about uh, the important events that are now being denied less than a year after they occurred. What would you like to say in closing to our listeners about your hopes for the new year? Well, my hope for the new year is... uh, uh, stopping wars in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in support for the people of uh, Gaza and the occupied territories, uh, to uh, treat people with respect, uh, to work for peace and justice and, and a better world for us all. 
And I know you're also very active in trying to protect the rights of women serving in the U.S. military. Absolutely. Where one in three women during the course of their military career is uh, uh, raped while they're raped or sexually assaulted while they're in the military and uh, trying to uh, stop these criminal acts occurring in, in our military and proper treatment for women who have suffered these criminal acts and proper treatment for all service members, military service members, who many of whom are suffering from post-traumatic stress uh, disorder following their uh, their uh, terms of service in Afghanistan and Iraq. There are a lot of lot of people that are hurting out there, and I hope we as community members will recognize that we do need to watch out for our friends and neighbors and and uh, help them when we can. Well, Colonel, thank you very much, and I wish you a happy New Year. Thanks for being in uh, Cairo to speak for me. Well, thank you. I, I am honored to do that. Peter B. Collins. Okay. Thank you. We'll talk again okay. soon. Colonel Ann Wright from Cairo. Thank you very much. Thank you. One, two, three, four. Thanks for listening to this special edition of the Peter B. Collins Show from New Year's Eve 2009. It's hard to see it from here, but it doesn't dampen our hopes and aspirations for peace in the new year. 2010.